Now, in this chapter, uh, you, you might have noticed the, uh, the title, A Study in Unbelief. And it almost seems strange because you see above that, the title of the series is Belief. And that's been the focus. That, that's what uh, uh, the Gospel of John is about. It uses that, that term uh, more than anywhere else we see in the New Testament, believe. And, and yet we're going to see a contrast today in this particular uh, passage. So let's give our attention to this. This is, this is truth. In John 7, it says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He is a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Let's bow together. Lord, once again, we, we would ask that you would open up your word to us. It is truth. Give us, give us the faith first to believe that. And this is an account of actual history. It's happened. And so, help us to understand why you saw fit to preserve it for us today and for those down through the centuries. Lord, we need you to be our teacher today. And so we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if, if you want to get a full picture of, of Jesus' ministry... You need all four Gospels. You cannot just go to 
the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John has things recorded in it that are not recorded in the other three. And uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have things that are recorded there that are not recorded in John. And so we have to uh, uh, assume that God saw fit to give us the, the fullest picture of the things that he wanted us to know about, but he did so by giving us four Gospels. Now, because of that, because of what I just told you about the Gospel of John, and we've seen this already, there are uh, areas in the Gospel where there are big gaps and this really is one of them. If you see in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. If all you had was the Gospel of John, you would think what had just happened in, in uh, uh, John 6 happened, and then the next day or within a few days, then what we're about to talk about happened. And, and that's not the case by the timing as we look at the other Gospels, as we look at his overall uh, ministry, we see that there's a gap between chapter 6 and 7. Chapter 6, if you remember, was, uh, that took place, and that was the, the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 20,000 uh, people. And, uh, and then he taught about that. And what we discovered was that that was actually right before Passover. Now, we see this at uh, the, the, the Feast of Booths. Passover was in the springtime. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths is in the fall. It's in October. So you, you basically have to fast forward uh, to see what's what's going on here in terms of its, its timing. All of Jesus' visits to Jerusalem were linked to the feasts. Now, there were three great feasts. There was lots of feasts, but there were uh, three great Jewish feasts that, that took place in Jerusalem. Passover, Pentecost, and this feast, the uh, Feast of the Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, Passover being the first one, uh, that celebrating the... Uh, and then when we get to the Feast of Booths, what we are celebrating is the harvest. So it's, it's after things have wound down for those that were uh, farmers. Christians tend to think Passover is, is the largest and, and most important feast. And I understand why. The reason we tend to, to think that is because that's when Jesus went to the cross for our salvation. So from a Christian perspective, we see the fulfillment of Passover and that as being the, the greatest feast. But for the Jews, this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, was the greatest. 
Uh, it was a party. The, the idea of the, the tabernacles or the booths, uh, they were celebrating two things. I already told you they were celebrating the harvest, but it goes way back to the Old Testament when uh, they are wandering in the desert and they are living in tents. And uh, those tents, they, they called booths or, or tabernacles. They'd often have uh, palm fronds as uh, their roof and so on. They could easily set up every, every day and so on. So when they went to Jerusalem, this is, this is like everybody camped out. It's like camping world gone wild for Jewish people but Jewish people who still obey the law. So, so that's the parameters uh, for, for all of this. Um, but it was, it was a big deal um, for uh, the religious Jew. They remember the Exodus. It's a lighthearted time for everybody there, but not for Jesus. Jesus as he's entering in to these last months of his ministry. So going on in verse 1, it says, He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, Judea is where Jerusalem is. Uh, remember, he'd been up in Galilee, which would be uh, north of, of that, and Judea would be where Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and, and so on are. But the first thing I want to point out here, uh, and, and this, this, is, this is something that we as Christians always need to make sure we, we understand. There is nothing anti-Semitic about the Gospels referring to the Jews in this way. even when it says the Jews were wanting to kill Jesus. That's not anti-Jewish. In fact, in the Gospel of John, when he uses that phrase, when he talks about the, the Jews in that way, he's talking about the religious leaders that were opposed to Jesus. The other reason we know this was absolutely not anti Semitic. It's not to get us to, 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 not, uh, to, to hate Jewish people or anything like that, though it's been used that way. But, but that's an incorrect use of the Scripture. But we, we know that, that it's not anti-Semitic because John was a Jew and Jesus was a Jew. So when it speaks of them in, in this way, it's, not, uh, it's, it's simply talking about a group that was opposed to Jesus as opposed to talking about a race. Now look at verse 2. It says, Now uh, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples uh, also may see the works you're doing. Now when it says brothers here, it means brothers. There are those that have, have wanted to say, uh, in this case, it, it wasn't really brothers. 
these were more like his cousins. And the reason they want to say that is those who uh, venerate Mary in the sense that they want her not only to have had a virgin birth with Jesus, but they want her to uh, remain the eternal virgin. That's just simply not the case. This is talking about others that were, were born to Mary. They were half-brothers. So they had different fathers from Jesus. But the Bible calls them, them brothers. And, and in for them to tell Jesus to go it isn't really that unusual because that's what every faithful Jew was doing at that point. They were called to, to go to this feast every year, and they wanted to be there. But look what his brothers, what their reasoning was in this case. Verse 4, For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So these guys, these younger brothers of his, were acting like campaign managers for him. They're basically saying, look, you're doing all these amazing things. What are you doing them here in Galilee for? Nobody that wants to take power, which they thought was what Jesus was wanting to do, and they evidently wanted him to do, to become some kind of a, a powerful political leader. That's, at this point in his ministry, what some of them were thinking. But if you want to take power, you don't, you don't do it out here in, in Galilee and make people come to you. Go to where the crowds are. I mean, any campaign would know to do that. And that's basically what they're saying to him. But here's what they would have liked. They would have liked for the Feast of Tabernacles to be when the triumphal entry took place. They wanted to push everything forward. They... they they, they wanted him out there in the, in the public, and they wanted him to go ahead and, and take power. But then there is a stunner of a statement here. Verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. His brothers didn't believe in him. We're going to talk about that in, in just a minute. Um, but when he says, my time has not yet come, what he's saying is, look, the Father has the timing figured out. And it's not now. Jesus always went with the timing of his Father. Now, think about the implications of that, of God's sovereignty. You know, his, his brothers were really, they're wanting to tamper with God's timing at this point. And you say, oh yeah, that's, that's terrible that they would want to do that. 
Have you ever found yourself in that position? Have you ever found yourself not altogether thoroughly pleased with what God's timing is? That nervous laughter tells me (laughs) the answer is, and I would include myself, of course. In fact, more often than not, his timing doesn't match up with what I think would be best. But think of the implications of this. If Jesus had done what they wanted to do instead of the Father, we wouldn't have salvation. If Jesus had uh, agreed to the temptation of of Satan in the wilderness to, to show himself and his power and all of that, we would not have salvation. God's timing is always right. But not only that, it's always best. Now, that doesn't mean we can always see why that's the case. And there's some times when we're going to say, I don't get it. And that's, that's when we have to walk by faith and say, his timing is always going to be right. Verse 7 then, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So there it is. Why is there opposition to, to Jesus? It wasn't because he fed a bunch of, of people. Everything was all good at that point. It, it wasn't even that, that he himself was living a righteous life. But where it relates to that is the fact that he was living a righteous life and, and pointing out the evil works in this world. And why did he do that? Well, because that's why he came. That's the gospel right there. That's why it was necessary for him to come, and that is exactly what caused the opposition against him because no one wants to hear that their works are evil. So Jesus tells his brothers, verse 8, you go up to the feast. I'm not going to this feast, for my time is not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And, and I get it. Some of you are immediately saying, wait a minute, that, that verse, he's, his actions are contradicting what he says there. I found the contradiction in the Bible, and here it is. Well, it does appear that way, doesn't it? I'm, I'm not going up. My time is not yet. So what was the point? Why did he end up going going there. Jesus was only unwilling to go to Jerusalem openly and in pursuit of, of glory. In other words, what he was saying is, 
I'm not going to go to Jerusalem on your terms and your timing. I will go, as he showed them, on my terms in the Father's timing. And so that's basically what he did. As a Jew, he had the duty to appear in Jerusalem for that event, but he wasn't feasting like everyone else. He wasn't partying like everyone else, and we're going to next week begin to see some of the teaching that he did. Instead, instead of uh, rejoicing over the, that year's harvest, instead of thinking back to the exodus, he was looking forward. He was preparing the way for the cross. And so, verse 11, it says the, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Now again, these are, these are the rulers that were against Jesus back in verse 1. It indicated they wanted to kill him. So that's, that's why they were looking for him. In verse 12, you know, when he got there, there was a buzz in Jerusalem, and it was about him. It says there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, again, that group, no one spoke openly of him. And that's why they call it muttering. You know, people were kind of talking in small groups, and if they, they saw some of that ruling class coming by, they'd, you know, quiet down and, and not say anything openly. They didn't want to be mistaken as being one of his followers or uh, particularly caring about him or anything like that. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Now, let's look back, and I want to I uh, pull out of this the kinds of unbelief that we, we see here. The first one, and, and the most obvious, is just an outright opposition by the Jewish rulers and uh, the, the teachers. They were either so angry they wanted to kill him, or so afraid, afraid that they might lose their positions of power, that in any case, they wanted to kill him. So that, one's, that kind of unbelief is pretty easy to spot. But there are some other ones here. A second category are those opposed to his teaching. He's, he's leading the people astray. This might in, in, in our day be, uh, be the atheist movement. And by the way, there are atheists. I, I don't remember seeing this early in my ministry. Um, I'm sure they were there. But, but in our day, there are more atheists that are uh, I, I hate to use evangelistic. You know what I mean? Not that they're talking about the gospel, but they're, they're not only want to be atheists themselves, but they want everybody to be atheists. And so they're, they're witnessing, so to speak, 
They're putting up billboards. They're, they're, they're that far against. And, and you know, we, we see it in the media. You know, you, you have been called, you who are believers have been called mentally ill. Recently, by those who choose not to believe or who say they believe but they don't believe like you. So there is that, and it's, a, it's another, simply another kind of unbelief. But then there's another kind here, and that's... Uh, those who, you know, like in this passage where they said he, he's a good man. Those who think good thoughts about Jesus, but really aren't followers of him. And this is probably, this is an unscientific remark, but, but in my view, this is probably the biggest category in our country. And, and certainly in the Bible Belt. A lot of people may not go out of their way to be opposed to Jesus. You probably work with people like this. You have neighbors like this that, that don't, don't show any interest in Jesus, but they're, they're fine that, that you're out of their way on Sunday morning and, and, and things like that. But they're not going to say anything negative and and certainly here in, in the Bible Belt, there, there's a lot of, of that. But remember this. We've talked about how Jesus can't just be a good man. It's not enough just to say, like those who were in Jerusalem, no, no, he's a good man. You know, they were defending him as opposed to saying, no, he's leading them astray. So they're on, on Jesus' side. He's a good man. But here's the problem, and, and we've, we've been talking about this. Because of his claims, he cannot be just a good man. He's either who he says he is. He is God. He is the creator of the universe. He is salvation or he's not even good because he has claimed those things for himself. And so someone can't say, oh, I don't believe he is a savior, but, but he was a good teacher and a good example. Well, if he's not the savior, then he's, he's not a good teacher. He's a terrible teacher because he's a liar. And he's not a good example because he lies or he's deluded. So we cannot say and stop with simply saying he's a good man. He was a good man. But he was also king of the universe. And then we see another category of unbelief. And that is those who knew him best heard his teaching, saw his miracles, but still chose not to believe. That's his brothers. And this is the one 
that haunts me the most as a pastor. I think of his brothers. They grew up with him. Whether they acknowledged it or not, they never saw him sin. They knew he lived an upright life. They had been with him, evidently. They saw his miracles. They had sat under his teaching. They had witnessed his ministry. But somehow, up to this point, they never really trusted in him for salvation. The Scripture here tells us that. And the reason that haunts me is that I'm afraid that there are those that are in churches who fall into this category. And I pray about that every single day. But there is a glorious application here. There is hope. Here is the hope thinking about our categories. Some of those that would be called uh, the, the Jews who were opposed to him, some of them came to faith in Christ. Remember Nicodemus? The one that was too fearful to come see Jesus during the day, so he came at night. We go forward to John 19, and this is what it says about Nicodemus, that one that was, was uh, uh, secretly with him, and we don't know what happened to him until later. In John 19, it says, After these things, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea came and took away his body. This is after the crucifixion. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, so the burial, uh, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Somewhere along the way, Nicodemus, who was taught about being born again, was born again. And he no longer was, was afraid and was undercover but he exposed himself and identified himself with Jesus and his disciples. There's another category. Some others who opposed his teaching came to him. Think the Apostle Paul, the ultimate terrorist who was just that to Christians after Jesus ascended into heaven. He murdered and he persecuted Jesus and his church until he met Jesus and God gave him a new heart. And then Remember Jesus' brothers, those who knew him the best, those who had grown up with him, and those that were around him that were used to him but still didn't believe? 
according to verse 5. Fast forward to Acts chapter 1. This is after the ascension, after, after Jesus is crucified, dead and buried. He walks out of the tomb. He walks the earth. He does more teaching, and then he ascends into heaven, and, and the church is gathered together, and it says this, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, those who knew him the best, came to believe. One of them, James, became a leader of the early church. He wrote the epistle. What happened? They saw him die. They witnessed the resurrected Christ. Those who knew him best were so familiar that they had a hard time believing, but they could deny it no longer. Maybe you found yourself in, in that position, one of those kinds of unbelief. Or maybe you're just apathetic. You really don't care. You wouldn't have been in on the conversations in, in Jerusalem. Or maybe you think he's, he's good, but, but don't believe anything beyond that. Maybe you're just so familiar with him that you've just gotten used to him. And you never took that next step of faith. We've talked about many kinds of unbelief. But there's only one kind of true faith. In this chapter and in the New Testament, people like those that we've talked about were welcomed into faith and eventually welcomed into eternity by Jesus. There is hope, and he is still welcoming those who in the past have not believed. Let's bow together. Lord, sometimes we even try to fool ourselves, much less those around us, in terms of our faith, but I would simply pray that you would, you would help us to, to really look deep, to, to know if there really is a faith there or not. And if not, Lord, will you give us such a hunger to really know Jesus, not just know about him, not just think he was good, but to really know him as Lord and Savior. Only you can do that in our hearts. You did it for Nicodemus for the Apostle Paul, for his brothers, and for people down through the ages. Will you do that today, Lord? 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.